Shalom and welcome to the Soul's Journey series. Today's title is Welcome to the Adams Family. Um, this is the first lecture on chapter three in Tanya. Uh, God willing, there will be three lectures on this chapter. So just starting with the first lecture. So um, actually, the title, Welcome to the Adams Family, is actually cheek and tongue, tongue and cheek, <laughs> tongue and cheek. And uh, the reason is because Adam, Adam refers to the human being. And welcome to the Adam's family actually refers to that within each and every person, there is an entire family. And this is what chapter three in Tanya is going to begin introducing to us. So last week, we, uh, the last three weeks, we were talking about chapter two in Tanya, which introduced to us the second soul which is truly a piece of God above. However, it just talks about the soul itself, not what goes on within the soul. We spoke about the soul in its core essence, truly a piece of God. We spoke about how different souls come down through different evolutions. And thus, just like in pregnancy, that which comes from the mind of the parents develops fully even into here and and fingernails and toenails, which when you cut, doesn't have no feelings to it. Um, that's how distant it is from the original source of life it came from. So too, every generation forms an entire unit. So it's an entire body with the brain of the body down to the feet and the toenails. Um, throughout the entire history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, we're talking about the head, all the way down to our generation, which is called Ikvisa de Meshicha the heels. Um, so too, within every soul, we spoke about how every soul, when it comes down, it has different layers. And the different layers happens through the evolution, the contractions and the concealments that take place as the soul descends into the body. Um, in this chapter, Tanya, he only mentions the three levels, the three lower levels, Neshama, Ruach, Nefesh, from top to bottom. Um, we spoke about the top two levels, Chai Yechida, Yechida being the essence core. Chapter 3 is going to get a little bit more into the particulars of the soul. And therefore, we're going to refer back for a moment to the um, verse that we find in when God tells the angels, let us make mankind. What does he say? Let us make mankind in our image and likeness. And what is image and likeness? God has no form, no image to be like, and therefore, we're not talking about the essence of God, rather we're talking about the transformer, so to speak, that God clothes himself within when we get from the infinite source to the finite creation sustenance. What is that specific transformer, so to speak? So we talk about the ten emanations. The ten emanations is the way the infinite light shines in, colorless infinite light shines in. Picture it, if you may, as a color stained glass window. And thus, when the sunshine goes through the stained glass window on this side, you have colors of light. 
So the, the part of the sun ray that's going to shine through the red piece of glass, now you're going to have a red light. Green, white, all the colors. And this is how we understand that Maimonides clearly says that God, you cannot say upon God um, anger, um, a, a happiness, all these different descriptions. The minute it's a description, it cannot be placed upon God because that already is in its finest essence, idol worship. Idolatry is to give any form or shape, physical or spiritual, to God. Thus, even were you to call God kind, you already have an image and a likeness. Thus, the question is, but the verse clearly says, and there was the anger of God, or it says that God, um, he was comforted after the flood with the sacrifice and he changed his mind. First, God said, for man is evil from their birth, thus I will wipe them out. And then after Noah, after the flood brings a sacrifice, it says that God was comforted and God said, because man is helplessly evil from their birth, therefore I will never again bring upon them this destruction. So what is all this going on? We talk about God as kindness. We talk about God as goodness. And yet all these are descriptions. And ultimately God cannot be boxed into any description. Because once again, you're creating idols and idol worship. So therefore, now we understand how it works. What happens is that when the infinite light, when I even talk about the essence of God, when the infinite light shines through, thus it picks up a certain color, which is the secret of all God's names. Why does God have the 10 famous names? Because there are the 10 different emanations. And there is the name of kindness. There is the name of strictness. There is the name of victory. There are these names. And what these names are referring to, the vessels of the ten emanations through which the infinite light shines through and picks up. Thus, you now understand a, a line in our prayers, which says on Rosh Hashanah, God, arise from the throne of justice and sit upon the throne of compassion. What, what does that mean? God has his throne and if God wants will be this, will be that. No, what we're actually referring to is to bring the infinite light out of justice because the days of all, the lights are being projected through justice and thus we're experiencing justice through our prayers. We're shifting over that the infinite light of God should arise out of the vessel, the emanation of Giburah strength and justice and strictness, and sit, shine through, manifest itself within. Thus, from the infinite light, all is equal. But from our perspective that we're receiving it through these different emanations, thus we receive things very differently. This is also the secret of Shabbat, holidays, and weekdays. We're taught that on Shabbat, we're having now the emanation, the sustenance, the, the, the infinite light is shining directly through wisdom, which causes pleasure. And thus we have Oneg Shabbat, the pleasure of Shabbat. Once the world is experiencing from intellects, we're not dealing with mundane workdays. 
the mundane seven workdays or six workdays, and then you have Shabbat, which is kingship, which is connected to wisdom. But what happens is that when we have the six, let's say, workdays, it's because God created the world in seven days. And what does the Zohar say? We're talking about the seven supernal days, which is the seven great emanations, emotion emanations. I know you want to tell me that God created the world in six days, but there is an opinion that in seven days, because God brought peace to the world on the seventh day. So there was something new that came into the world. But yes, normally we say in six days. But my point here is that the Zohar is saying that the work days literally are the emotion emanations. The minute we start experiencing through intellect, which is primordial, so to speak, of creation, it is the 2000 before the world existed. That's Torah, wisdom and understanding. Thus, we're now dealing with a total new experience in the world. And therefore, we cannot work. And therefore, Shabbos is peace and pleasure because it's Chachma, while wisdom, while holiday, it comes through understanding, not through wisdom, which is one step down, which is why on holidays we could cook food for the sake of eating. And the main thrust of holidays, if you look in the verses, is not pleasure, oneg, but simcha. Simchat yantav. Okay? Why am I sharing with you all of this? Because when God told the angels, let us make mankind in our image, the image refers through this transformer, the ten names of God. And thus we now have within the human soul, ten faculties. Angels to God, or God, God told the angels, let us make. That's what the verse says. So therefore, that's what the verse says. We'll, we'll, let's not get off topic with that. I just want to share now we understand what that verse means, which that is the foundation to chapter 3 in Tanya. Thus, when God said, let us make mankind in this form and image, we now know that within the soul, there are 10 faculties which reflect the 10 emanations. Thus, you have the essence of the soul. Thus, you have the 10 faculties. It shines through, and that's what we have in our thought, speech, and action. Just like you have the infinite light, the 10 emanations, it shines through, and we're experiencing in the world either an era of kindness, an era of wisdom, an era, and so forth and so on. So now that we know that the soul has within it the 10 faculties, let's start understanding briefly the 10 faculties, which is what the Adam's family is all about. So first of all, the 10 intellects are, I'm sorry, the three intellects, we talk about the heads, the parents, the wisdom, the emanation of wisdom, the faculty of wisdom is called father, Abba. Understanding is called, Bina is called mother, Ima. That is the consummation of the two. The first time that Adam and Eve had a sexual relation consummating, creating, what does it say in the verse? It says, Adam yada et chava. And Adam knew. We'll talk about that in a moment. So you have the knowledge, the third one. So that's all father-mother consummation. And then from there, there's the offsprings. What is the offspring? The offspring is the seven emotions. Now we understand that this is called the three heads, and these are called the seven lowers. 
Now let's get a little bit more intricate with understanding how it works, okay? I'm going to share with you the way it's lined up in this chapter, but I do want you to know it doesn't always work this way. I'm going to present it to you as the first experience is wisdom, then understanding, but it doesn't always work that way. Just to explain to you the differences, wisdom is when the first flash comes to you and then you dissect it into pieces. You and I know that when you play hangman, you know, do you have a letter A? Do you have a letter B? Or when you do puzzles, or sometimes when you watch a movie, you read a book, Lahabdo, when you study Gemara, sometimes it's not that you got the seed and you work out the details. Sometimes you're working out the puzzle and you start getting the, the holistic seed of what lies in here. But I'm going to share it to you from Chachmat to Bina, but from wisdom to understanding. But you should know that sometimes and very often by us in life, it works actually from understanding to wisdom. You keep on working, keep on working, keep on working, pieces, 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 and you start getting the holistic picture of what the one oneness of Torah is. In other words, induction versus reduction. Okay, but there's two ways to learn it. Some people may be blessed that the, right away they understand the gift from God. What is the core oneness of Torah? There's only one, one oneness to the whole Torah. But when we study Torah, it looks like there's just a bunch of different pieces. Here we're talking about sacrifices. Here we're talking about kosher. Here we're talking about mikvah. Here we're talking, I mean, what, what is the connection between all of this? The Ten Commandments itself. What is the connection between all of this? But when you keep on studying and studying and studying and deeper dimensions and, and, and getting involved in Hasidus, you start getting the oneness that flows through all the four different categories of the Torah, which each one breaks into 70 faces, which breaks each one into 600,000 and goes on and on and on. Okay? Okay. Wisdom, I'm going to just give you quick metaphors. Wisdom is like when you're walking in the forest and you're completely lost. It is Rosh Chodesh, or let us even say the day before Rosh Chodesh, which is when the moon is completely gone, right? And it's completely dark. And all of a sudden, there is a crack of lightning and the entire sky lights up. At that moment, you saw everything, but you have nothing. You saw in front of you the entire, okay, now I remember. There's the road, there's the this, there's the hole, there's the tree. But when you see it, you saw everything in one shot and you have nothing. You now need to sit down and replay in your mind piece by piece by piece of what you saw. This is why this experience is called father because what the father gives the mother in one drop of sperm is the entire DNA ladder which has encoded within it all the details of the child. I, I'm not talking about the father without the mother, mother without the father. I'm just explaining the DNA ladder is the father, what the father gives. In that DNA ladder, you have absolutely everything of the child, yet you have nothing. If not for the mother, Bina, understanding, taking that DNA ladder in the sperm, and 
starting to work it out in the nine months, that process of cells and splitting cells and splitting cells, all directed by the original DNA ladder. There's nothing in the child that wasn't in the DNA ladder. That's Bina. That's the sitting down and starting to figure out what you just saw. I want to give you another example. So we have the father-mother example. We have the lightning and working it out in your head. I want to give you one more example. When you have a teacher asking a riddle, right? You see all the kids trying to figure it out, trying to figure out the riddle, trying to figure it out. And then what happens? All of a sudden, one child jumps out of his seat. Oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. The teacher says, Yankee, sit back down, raise your hand. I'll call upon you. Okay, he sits down. And the teacher says, go ahead, Yankee. What is the answer to the riddle? The next words out of the kid's mouth is, one second, one second. I, I got to figure it out. What did you jump out of your chair for? Because the child, specifically with, with riddles, which is not your regular way of studying, specifically with riddles, very often the child needs to quiet down his analytical mind, pull back, and try to get a more right brain, wisdom, holistic. What is the secret here? And then a coin drops. The child knows that he just figured it out. He figured it out now. He jumps up with excitement before anyone else grabs the, the uh, limelight. And what does he do? One second. And then he has to figure it out. Chachma Bina. Thus the Alter Rebbe refers to it as a drop from the intellectual soul, the intellect of the soul that drops into the mind. And now with that drop, we start dissecting. This is also the reason why in God's name, the first two letters, which is wisdom and understanding, the, the Yud is a dot, and it is wisdom, while you have the understanding is the hey, which is the three lines, which is three-dimensional. Because the truth of understanding needs to manifest itself in the three dimensions as we speak about it in the world of intellect. You have the length, the width, and the depth. So too you have an intellect. The length is being able to give another metaphor, another metaphor, another metaphor, bringing it down, bringing it down, bringing it down. The width is to be able to dissect every single detail. The depth is to split hairs get more refined, finer and finer and finer. There are three different parts of Bina, and you clearly have different teachers and different scholars that have different parts of Bina in which they're strong. Some can take the most abstract thought and explain it to the average layman. Some can go ahead and do the exact opposite they can take what seems so simple and start shedding, 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 shedding until it gets so fine and abstract. And then there are others that their talent is to keep on scooping out more details and more details and more details. And thus the Talmud tells us that the sages were walking to the study hall and they saw someone who had long hair, combing his hair, combing his hair. On the way home, 
they still see him combing his hair, combing his hair. And they asked him, you were combing your hair all day? He says, yeah. He says, why? He says, because my goal is to get every single strand of hair separate, separate, separate. They immediately realize that everything they see, the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, is a message from above. And thus they set upon this, keep on turning it over, turning it over. Don't just learn one piece of Talmud. Okay, I got it. Keep on combing it, combing it, combing it, combing it until every single detail stands by itself, clearly seen. Wisdom and understanding. Now, wisdom and understanding, the father and mother is where the offspring come from. And in different teachings, there's a very precise explanation of how exactly this works. I wanna just give you, and by the way, within the teachings itself, you have one way it says here and one way it says here. You have to know why, because there is no contradictions in the world of Hasidus. But I'll give you an example. In one place it says, when you think about the closeness of God, what this means is, we already, We've, been, we've studied together, you and I, enough. We've heard enough Hasidus together. And what do we say? That there is the finite linear permeating line and there is this circular infinite encompassing. Right? Now, on one hand, there is the encompassing light which circles all of the universe from the highest of the spiritual, celestial, down to the depth and the lowest of the terrestrial and the physical. And to that circular light, in a circle, there is no top, there is no bottom. Thus, everything is equal. That cannot penetrate and permeate because by definition, it will always be elusive. Because to permeate, let me just give you another metaphor. I, 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 this is not something I heard from my teachers, so take it at face value. But one of the metaphors I use when I try to understand this and explain it to others is, that if you take an eight, outcome, so an eight ounce cup and you put water into it, how many ounces can you put into it? Eight ounces. What happens if you throw the cup into the ocean? How big can the ocean be? The difference between encompassing and permeating. Thus, by definition, the light which permeates each and every creature and becomes the spark of life, even to the inanimate, has to be linear because in linear there's a top and a bottom and thus it gets weaker and weaker thus it can make sure to put eight ounces of spirituality in an eight ounce creature and to put two ounces of spirituality into a two ounce creature and if you wouldn't have that linear and if everything was just to sustain itself internally digest the infinite we would have short circuits all over the place Perfect example of what happens this week. We talk about the aftermath of the Ten Commandments and we see how, what did the Jews do? They told Moses, we cannot directly receive the infinite essence revelation that God places in his Torah. Thus, when God talks to us, we're short-circuiting. The spark is being pulled out of the body back into the mother flame. Therefore, let God speak to you. And therefore, God said actually about Moses later, when he was talking about Moses to his sister and his brother, what does he say? There is no prophet like Moses 
For everyone else, I need to speak only to their subconscious. They're not capable of their conscious mind even having the revelation of prophecy, which by the way is the speech of the lowest of the 10 different categories of angels, Maimonides says, even that is too much for an average prophet, including the great prophets of Ezekiel. Thus they had to be in a state of, of sleep. And thus it was revealed to them through metaphors. With Moses, God says, I speak to him face to face. I, not angels, speak to him face to face, conscious mind, telling him exactly what I'm saying without metaphors. This, prof, prof, this process of we're hearing in this week's Torah portion that there was the people that stood on the bottom of the mountain, then there was the elders, and then there was the priest and Aaron, the Kohen, all that concept of different levels can only exist within the linear. Now, what happens is when we talk about the linear, we're not talking about God up there. We're talking about God in here. That closeness, that feeling of closeness that God contracted himself to be within you, be with you, normally brings to love. Fear is the process of thinking about the circular light. Thinking about how distant we are from God. Distance in human nature normally creates fear. Fear of abandonment and so forth and so on. Thus you understand that the process of the mind, studying, concentrating, contemplating, meditating on one aspect of his relationship with God, whether it be the closeness of the linear or the distance of the circular, you and I know when you stand on Mount Everest, so you stand in Arizona, I stood there once by the Grand Canyon, the first feeling that goes through you is not love. The first feeling is awe, which is of the family of fear. Because you're looking at an infinite greatness that your mind cannot absorb. And the more you absorb it, the more it's going to go from fear to love. Feeling God's fingerprints in our universe. That's one way of looking at it. There's another teachings that I've, I've learned, other teachings that, that I've learned clearly. Both of them from the teachings of Hasidus, both within Hasidus. That says the exact opposite. When you're distant from the king, when you're living in this suburb, you don't live in, in, in that tight stress of fear. The closer you get to the king, the more you're seeing the exaltedness of the king, the more you have fear. So again, depending on the process of the mind, to create certain emotions, you need to be able to have certain thoughts. And you need to know which thoughts create which emotions. And thus you fulfill the mitzvah. And that's the answer in Kabbalah, the teaching of the great Magid in Hasidus. He says that what? What does it mean that love God, you God, fear God, you God? Can you command a heart? How many movie plots is that one is in love with the other and decides that they're going to get the other one, force the other one to love them? You can't do that. So what is God saying? He's telling the human heart, you will love me. I don't know if I love you. Maybe I just can't love you. I, I definitely could have obedience, but I don't know if I could love you. And many times when people say, oh, I love God, they're actually trying to create it by saying it. They want to believe it. They want to have it. 
But can you just tell your heart, love God, have fear of God? Thus the Maggit says, the commandment of love God and fear God is not to the heart, it's to the brain. Telling the brain, I don't want you just to just role play in your mind. I want you to take the wisdom and the understanding and work it and work it and work it. For to know God is to love God. To abstractly just hear thoughts of God is not to love God, nor to fear God. Thus we have the love and fear is directly the offspring of intellect. And thus when God tells you, I'm commanding you to love me, the commandment is on the brain, but not in an abstract, cerebral way, but to bring it home. Have it overflow in the heart. I want to share with you a story that happened both to the third Lubavitcher Rebbe and to our Rebbe of blessed memory. There was a time that each one of them, and they're in their different years, but different upbringings, they had a lot of l'chaim. And then they were going to give the discourse. And they wanted there should be no effect of the alcohol, the l'chaim, on their mind. And they saw this happen by the third Lubavitcher Rebbe and the third happened by, by our Rebbe. They went and they took like this, their hand, and they went like this. And right after that, you saw that whatever was going on with the alcohol is gone. The third Lubavitcher Rebbe, they asked him, what was that? He said, it wasn't a miracle. The Talmud says, Fear sobers you up very quickly. You have a bunch of teenagers drinking, and all of a sudden they see the red and blue lights. It's amazing. He said, what I did was, I put my head on my hand, and I was thinking the thoughts about God that creates fear of God. That fear, for me, is so real that it accomplished what the red and, 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 and blue lights do for a teenager driving intoxicated. So you see how clear this is. And this actually is the foundation of the Hasidic approach to prayer. Because in prayer, what does the Talmud say? Where do we learn our prayer from? We learn our prayer because it's to be the service of the heart. Thus the Talmud asks, and which is the service of the heart? Serve God with all your heart. What does it mean? It says, which is the service of the heart? This is prayer. Thus, for Hasidim, the whole concept of prayer, that is the place where you work your mind and your heart to literally create a true fear and awe of God. And, and love of God. Okay? So that's the Adam's family that's constantly going back and forth. There is the power of the mind, which controls the heart. And when you keep on practicing, that you don't just abstractly, yeah, yeah, I think I got it. Yeah, so, th so this is the, the, the circle and the line. And then, no, if you just do that, then you're not really experiencing wisdom. You're not re really experiencing understanding. And thus you won't have real emotions. Thus the Alter Rebbe says, at the end of explaining how wisdom and understanding and the different levels of divinity creating different emotions, fear and love, generally we talk about fear and love and everything is offsprings of that. Compassion is a combination of fear and love. And then you have a matter of principle, you have gratitude, 
attitude, all those are offsprings. Normally when you talk about emotions, the top emotion is primarily love and fear. Sometimes you'll also miss compassion, but in truth, compassion is just a combination of the two. But that said, once he explains the love and the fear, he talks about something very interesting. He <coughs> excuse me. He talks about the difference between fatuity and tr true feelings. What the author says in Tanya is very interesting, and, and we're going to have to give another class on this later. But we're going to focus on what the author ever says. When he talks about knowledge, it's very different in what we use the word knowledge for in the English language. The knowledge in the English language is an accumulation of data. Thus, we have today very knowledgeable kids who know the price of everything but know the value of nothing. Because if you, if you look at knowledge as just an accumulation of data, you're just shooting out information, but you haven't personalized it. Value is not just abstract knowledge. Value is the personalization of what it means to me. This has value to me because of my personal principles in life. Yes, let, let's for right now say yes, but I don't want to get off into the relativity of knowledge because we're talking about the soul and each soul is identical. I just want to share that in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidic, knowledge is not the accumulation of just data. When you just have wisdom and understanding, when you just have the knowledge of the numbers but not the value, when I can list off to you the ten emanations, when I can list off to you that there's three different levels, there's the circular and there's the linear, and then there's that which is all encompassing of this circular and linear together, and we're only talking about the infinite light, and within the infinite light, we talk the expression of the infinite light, the essence of the infinite light, and it goes higher and higher and higher. I can list this all off to you, and yet, right now, standing in front of you, the way I rattled this off, I didn't have any additional influx of fear to God or love to God. Because wisdom and understanding, you have a father and you have a mother and they never consummate, you will not have a child. And what is the concept of concentration here? Thus, in this chapter, the Alter Rebbe uses the words that lead to a very deep, focused concentration. The difference between laser and regular light is that laser brings a focused light, while regular light is just all over the place. The way we always pick up energy is by, by creating a greater concentration. In plumbing, you want to build up the water pressure, you just make the pipe smaller. And it goes on and on and on. So right now, for this first class on Chapter 3, we're going to talk about all of this again, the dot I'm talking about, the knowledge. I'm going to talk about it from an amazing teachings of the fifth Bhavachar Rebbe. He talks about different, uh, uh, not different, but he just, he just sheds a lot of the simple words that we're using. But for first and, first and foremost, if you want to know why you're learning and you're learning and you're davening and you're davening, and you're not experiencing love or fear, it's because you never applied the dot concentration. I'm learning 
thing. I appreciate it. It, it excites me. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why very often, and I'll finish with this, very often I tell people when I give these type of classes, it's a little different when you give a Talmud class. It's very simple. You know what real estate is before you came to the Talmud class. You know what principle and interest, you know what principle and punitive, all these things are not new to you. So what you're hearing is that the Jewish way of the legal system is that these are the laws of real estate, and these are the laws like that, and then you start making comparative to, to Western, uh, you know, uh, the legal system, so forth and so on. When you come into a Tanya class, you come into a Chassidus class, and you're hearing concepts that you didn't grow up hearing. Nations, circular light, linear light, angels, you know, <laughs> we, we had last week, after six wings. What are you going to do now? You're going to go draw on the on the roof of, of our uh, Jewish uh, shul, uh, a six-winged angel? It's something, obviously. So therefore, before I don't, okay, I heard. And therefore, I tell people, your class begins when my class finishes. If when you leave this room, you're not going to play it over in your head, argue with it. Rub against it. Friction. What do I understand? What do I understand? Does this make sense? Does this, this doesn't make sense to me. But what does it really mean? And what is Alter Rebbe really saying? And what is the difference between the human and the animal? Doesn't the animal also have a, a brain? Uh, albeit more reptilian and more limbic and then less of the frontal. Uh, yeah. but, but what is it? What is the difference between the animal and the... What is the difference between the godly soul and the animalistic soul? They both have this problem. You've got to ask a lot of questions. Because that's how you make it yours. So that das is what will or will not have feelings. Without that, you won't have feelings. With that, you absolutely will. I'm going to close up with this last story. So in the shtetl, there was a person, a lot of people in the shtetl didn't know how to read. And the person gets a letter. So in the shtetl, there was the scholar who he knew how to read. And you bring him the letter, you pay him, whatever, and he reads it to you. No, this guy gets an a, a, a envelope, a letter. And where did the letter come from? It comes from his hometown, where his parents, where he grew up. Now he's married and he's living here. He's all excited and he runs to, he runs to the person and says, please, can you read me a letter? I got a letter from where my parents are, what's going on. And the guy reads the letter and he tells him, your father came across a terrible tragedy, and he's dead. The guy who heard this, the son, he's screaming, hysterical, fainting, and everything. The guy who actually saw the writing and read it, nothing. Why? It's the same reason why when you and I hear something happened in Albania, it affects us because we have a feeling for all Yidin, for, for all humans. What happens when you hear what happened in Israel? Jewish people, they have a feeling for when there's killing going on in Saudi Arabia because you have a caring feeling for human life. But it becomes a little different when it gets closer to family. 
if it happens in Tel Aviv, God forbid, it's family. It's not just a common human race. It's not just common life. That's an element of that. If I'm going to concentrate on something, so first of all, the mere fact that I'm putting in weeks and stuff, I'm building up a personal relationship. You know that. You have a lot of detective movies, right? They closed the file five years ago, but this detective, he just put too much into it. He's not, he's going to do it on his own time. It's personal now. That's an element of that that happens by focused concentration. But how much more so when you approach the whole topic, not as another casualty, we're talking about close to home. We're not talking about a God, we're talking about my God. When you're studying and concentrating on that level, that's consummation. It's not just wisdom, flirting with understanding, understanding, flirting with wisdom. It's a real focused concentration. What are the details and do I get what lies beneath it all? But how can you say this? Because then these details don't make sense. Back and forth, back and forth, and it becomes personal. That's where you have emotions coming from everything. Okay? So that's the first class on Chapter 3 of Tanya. We're going to have two more classes as of right now, at least two more classes on this to get deeper and deeper in understanding what exactly it is, this everything that's going on in us. I have another two minutes. I want to throw in here one thing. And Tanya talks about two souls. When you learn in all the teachings, including the teachings of the author of, of this, Tanya, the Alter Rebbe, all the seven Rebbes, you find very often hearing about a third soul. What is the third soul called? We're going to talk about it later, in a later chapter. It's called about the intellectual soul. Nefesh HaSichli. I had a long conversation with one of my uh, mentors and teachers when I was in Israel. After I was married, he asked me to learn with someone, a certain soldier, and they gave me the opportunity to talk to him. And after a long, I'm talking about literally, like two and a half, three hours of just explaining to me all, all angles, what's going on here, he asked me the question. He asked me, no. So why does the Alter Rebbe say that there's two souls? Chapter one, he brings it through from the verse. It's talking about a single person. It uses the plural. It says two souls, the godly soul, the Muslim soul. One second, there's also the intellectual soul. By the time he finished talking for two and a half hours, I knew the answer he wanted. Intellect alone is not a soul. It's not the added factor. For a soul to be counted an entire entity of a soul, it has to have all ten faculties. And later when we learn, we'll see it's even more than ten. It's encompassing uh, the will and the pleasure and so forth. So now we know what the definition of a whole soul is. The three intellects, the seven emotions. Thank you.